Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. From the outside, the Greene County Historical Society's main building might seem unremarkable. It sits in Waynesburg, a small southwestern Pennsylvania town known for sheep farming and coal mining. The quaint two-story structure has a brick facade, a white porch and trim, and four chimneys. At times, red, white, and blue bunting hang from the railings. The inside is surprisingly spacious for a house that was originally built in 1857. Rooms that once served as a parlor, dining room, and kitchen now hold glass cases with displays about the county's history. It's well lit with cheerful pink flooring and floral wallpaper. As visitors explore the museum, they may find themselves in newer additions, hallways and wings that were added later in the 19th century. Some rooms in these extensions feature recreations of settings like a schoolhouse, a chapel, and a train station. Still, there are signs of a darker history here. In the West Wing, there are marks on the doors, as if someone tried to break them down or escape. But it's the basement that holds the real terrors. Sometimes called the dungeon, the underground chambers are unfinished with dirt floors and bare brick walls. A shackle hangs from the ceiling, a silent testimony to the brutality that was once common here. However, when it was built in 1857, the facility was an ordinary house for the Reinhardt family. They dwelled there for just four years before they sold the building to the state of Pennsylvania. Now public property, the house was converted into a housing facility for low-income people. The new owners installed several additions, including numerous bedrooms for residents. Initially, the facility didn't have a formal name, and over the years it was referred to as the Green County Poor House, the Green County Poor Farm, and the Green County House. As its various titles imply, the residents worked on an on-site farm to earn their keep. Some had mental health conditions or physical disabilities that prevented them from working, while others were families who'd simply fallen on hard times. The population had many diverse needs, and history shows the staff at the Green County House weren't always well-equipped to help all of them. But at first, the facility ran pretty well. Green Scene Magazine published an article by Matt Cumberledge titled Going Green. In it, he noted that public officials conducted inspections throughout the first decade of operation. By and large, the visitors were impressed. They noted in their reports that the residents seemed happy, the staff appeared dedicated and compassionate, and the housing itself was in excellent condition. However, the 1871 inspection, which occurred 10 years after the Greene County Poorhouse opened its doors, was less glowing. By this point, the facilities were packed. Although they'd been designed to accommodate 40 clients, there were 73 adults and 11 children on site, more than double the recommended capacity. The Board of Commissioners of Public Charities of the State of Pennsylvania included more disturbing details in their report. They said that two mentally ill women were held in barred cells toward the back of the building. One of them was completely nude when they paid their visit. However, their conclusions were oddly optimistic, and they suggested the Green County House could reclaim its previous stellar reputation with some improvements. Sadly, said improvements did not materialize. To make matters worse, within another four years, 
the Greene County poor farm had become even more dangerously overcrowded. They hadn't made any updates to expand their capacity, but by now they'd swelled to house 90 residents. To make room for everyone, the staff laid out eight beds in the attic to accommodate 16 extra clients. The building was crumbling and in desperate need of maintenance. Cumberlidge's reporting and going green noted that mice and other pests swarmed through the dormitories. By 1881, the poorhouse was considered to be one of the worst in the nation, according to an Atlantic Monthly article. In 1884, the state intervened, relocating many residents with mental health conditions to psychiatric wards that were better equipped to address their needs. This shift followed a visit where, as Lancaster's The New Era newspaper reported, visitors determined the building was unsafe and the floors were pitted with holes. The stretched-too-thin staff let their residents wander around and made no effort to treat clients with mental health conditions any differently from the general population. They even noted in their report that there was no running water in the building and residents had to bathe outdoors in a river, even in the dead of winter. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. Afterward, the staff tried to reform operations at the Greene County House, but their efforts were apparently too little too late. They were unable to address the chronic overcrowding issues. Each time they reassigned residents to another facility, new clients would come pouring in, and the structure continued to crumble. In 1886, the staff expanded the house with new wings and wards to accommodate their growing population. But even with the new additions, the Greene County Poor Farm remained infested, dirty, and the staff were still unable to care for their residents' unique mental and physical needs. An article in Davenport's Daily Democrat titled, An Asylum Horror, posted a quote from one resident who'd been there for five years. He said, I cannot sleep in my bed for the bugs. I have been sleeping in the hall here nigh on five years now. Here the bugs no bother me. Later, that same article described the unsanitary conditions that many sick residents had to deal with while fighting serious and potentially fatal illnesses. They put it starkly, several of the inmates were dying like hogs in their filth. More construction and renovations still failed to address the issues, and in 1890, reports began appearing in the papers that the man who ran the facility, William B. Cage, had a sadistic streak. The story of an aged institution, again by Matt Cumberledge, says William gravitated toward brutal punishments for minor infractions. He beat residents with his cane or chained them in the basement where they weren't fed. He was also said to steal food from his clients, throwing galas and serving it to guests while the people in his care starved. Neglected and demoralized, the residents suffered horrible tragedies. One man hung himself on the premises in 1891. One of the most disturbing accounts from this time was reported again by Cumberledge. According to Matthew, sometime around the turn of the century, a woman who was staying at the facility became pregnant by another resident. On a chilly day, fearful that the baby wasn't warm enough, she put her newborn in a bread oven and left it there until it died. The scent of its baking body permeated the house. Finally, around this time, the public pressure became too great and the cruel director, William B. Cage, lost his position. 
Afterward, the Greene County Poorhouse transformed rapidly. The facilities were cleaned up and repaired, and the population was reduced to a more manageable 40 adults. The new management also adopted a name change to Green Hills Farm. Interestingly, this was the first time the facility had an official name. Afterward, the complex continued operating in relative peace and quiet until 1964 when it closed down for good. Five years later, in 1969, the century-old structure was condemned, but it didn't have long to sit and fall into disuse. The following year, a group called the Green County Historical Society began renting the facilities for the very low price of $1 per year, with a guarantee of no rate increases for half a century. The Historical Society had been operating since 1925, and as reported on the Greene County Museum's website, they were devoted to preserving important artifacts and records related to their region. As time went on, their archives grew, and they were in need of a new headquarters to accommodate their expanding collection. In 1971, they reopened the Greene County House as a museum with displays for their artifacts and antiques. Today, Anyone can drop by and see the exhibits between April and October, but during the winter and early spring, they're only open for special events. But even during quiet stretches where visitors don't come by, it's said the dead are quite active. Like many haunted places, there are reports of footsteps and screams with no apparent cause. Passers-by here pounding on residents' former bedroom doors, possibly the same doors that show signs of damage from previous escape attempts. These noises are especially common in the basement. Even when it's supposed to be unoccupied, visitors have heard moans and screams coming from below. The woman whose baby died in the oven is said to still linger in the kitchen, the location of her great personal tragedy. And other full-bodied apparitions have popped up throughout the house and the surrounding grounds, Sometimes these spirits are dressed in clothing from the 1800s. Passers-through might feel a tug on their clothes or a pinch. A piano in the main hall occasionally rings out with tunes, even though no one is sitting by to play it. The lights flicker or turn on and off on their own, and mysterious scents waft through the air. Sewage, burning hair, and rotting flesh are commonly detected. On one occasion, Cumberledge was in the Greene County Historical Society when he heard a door slam. He didn't see anyone around, even as footsteps thudded by. Then a box slid across the floor all on its own. Eerie evidence that he wasn't as alone as he thought. He told another story where a volunteer worker was startled while they were vacuuming. They saw a hand reach toward them from a closet that was supposed to be empty. Photographers often capture strange images on film, extra faces that weren't visible in the initial shot. Notably, this happened at least once in the West Wing. According to the Observer reporter, the staff have dubbed it the Bad Wing due to the ominous sensations they feel while there. When one guest snapped a photo in the Bad Wing, they were surprised to find a woman in a nurse's uniform in the image, a woman who hadn't been visible when they took the picture. Another lady, dubbed Margaret by the staff, is frequently cited in this same area. But many of the worst horrors seem to stem from the basement, where residents were once tortured and starved. Often people who descend into the depths get the eerie sensation that they're being watched. 
Now, no discussion of paranormal activity at the Greene County Historical Society is complete without discussing the region as a whole. Apparently, Rosemary Ellen Guiley said Greene County is the most haunted county in all of the United States. In the National Association of Counties, Meredith Moran noted that it's a hotspot for Bigfoot and UFO sightings. Strangest of all, Moran describes some kind of lobster monster that's said to snatch unwary people who cross its path. As ominous as this may all sound, accounts suggest the spirits at the Historical Society are friendly overall. In the Yellow Jackets article, Paranormal Activity in Green County by Emma Hurley, the ghost's generosity is described. Apparently, they like to leave antique pottery or swords in recently cleaned rooms, a way of reaching out to the living, perhaps, and saying hi. During its operation as a poorhouse, it said anywhere from 746 to 1,000 people died on the premises. It's hard to say for sure due to gaps in record keeping, but it's fair to say many of the residents were ordinary people who'd ended up at Greene County House due to circumstances beyond their control. By and large, they didn't wish anyone harm during their lives, and there's no reason to think that's changed now. I can think of no one more qualified to speak on this location than Matt Cumberledge himself. I've cited him numerous times in this episode, and I had the pleasure of working with him and his staff when we spent a week investigating there with Kindred Spirits. So he is coming up after the break. I am now joined by Matt Cumberledge, who is the museum director, and it's so nice to have you with us. Um, we actually, we met when we filmed Kindred Spirits there. Yes, indeed. That was back in August, if I remember correctly, last August. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. I um, I have to say, like, I love, love this location. Like, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's one of my favorite haunts. Um, I'm a little bit jealous that you get to work there every day. <laughs> It, I, I'll tell you what, it's something I never grow tired of. It's a wonderful building, wonderful history, and a interesting paranormal activity there for sure. Absolutely. And though, so like right off the bat, I just want to say what I really like about this place, just as a researcher myself, is that this was one of those locations, like I don't, I, I barely had to leave to research. You have the library there and you have such extensive records of what went on there. Even some of the more, honestly, horrifying accounts like you have documentation which doesn't happen very often no it's uh really uncommon to have stuff like that like uh you know i've always had an interest in facilities like this like i'm sure you guys are familiar with trans allegheny lunatic asylum and yeah. you go there and they tell you these stories and i always wonder it's like are they making this up you know is there any <laughs> is there anything to this now i I, I don't doubt their stories. I had an aunt that worked there that actually was able to verify some things that happened in the 90s. But we're very lucky that we have all of these 19th century accounts and their vivid accounts. You know, like I tell people when they uh, come here to visit, it's like, you know, everything I'm telling you, I can back up with documentation. And yeah, people seem to enjoy that. And a lot of times I like to bring that stuff out and like, you know, here, you know, read this article, look at this. There's insanely horrifying things that happened here way back when. 
Yeah. And I honestly, like when we were there and we were investigating, um, as you know, we're there a lot when, when we're filming, we basically move in for a few days. And even when, you know, I had downtime or the cameras weren't rolling, I would just run into that library and start looking through things. Cause it was so fascinating. So, um, but that being said, it has been a while since I've been there. How is the activity? How, how have things been going there? Um, the activity, it, it, it comes and goes. Um, I'm sure you'll remember that we're we were kind of in the middle of some renovations when you guys were here. We still are, um, mm-hmm. and that always tends to uh, peak the activity a little bit. So, you know, it's it's been fairly busy here lately. In fact, uh, a few days ago, I had a pretty interesting experience. Ooh, share please. <laughs> well, um, we this was two weekends ago. Um, we had a local paranormal group that came out and they helped us do a fundraiser. Uh, what they did was they uh, they brought all of their equipment um, and we sold tickets. People were able to come. We we served dinner. There were a few presentations. And then after everything was done, this uh, local group would take groups of people around and investigate various parts of the building. Well, I, that, that started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, of course, I was here much, much earlier than that. I had gotten here about 11 and uh, I'm sure you remember the brick oven in the uh, kitchen oh, with yes. the infamous story. So <laughs> yes. um, we do use that uh, when we serve food. We actually bake food in there. And so Ooh. I was here early to start a fire and get things ready with that. Well, I was the only one that was here. And I heard the back door open. And I thought, oh, okay, it's nothing. So... I figured the rest of my staff had kind of come in and were getting started with the day. So I had gone back in the West Wing to uh, do a couple things. And when I went back that way, I'd gone into one room and I heard somebody walking down the hallway behind me. And I heard the women's bathroom door open and closed. And when I walked back out of the hallway, I could hear somebody moving around in there. And I thought, oh, okay, well, Janice or Barb, they're here. They're cleaning the bathrooms, you know, getting ready for tonight. So, again, didn't think anything of it. I go back into the kitchen and there's a window in the kitchen that looks back onto the building. It actually looks into another window in the West Wing hallway. Uh, I'm looking out that and I clearly see a person in a blue shirt walk past the window. It was a guy. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's not any of my staff. So I run out of the kitchen. I'm like, who's here? So I come out. Nobody's there. Um, I peek down the West Wing hallway. No one was there. I look up the uh, the set of marble steps that goes upstairs to the women's wing. And we yeah. had a curtain at the top of the steps to like block drafts and keep the warmth in the parts of the building that are heated because, as you know, the whole place isn't heated. And I saw that curtain move as if somebody just went through it. So I thought, oh, God, we've got an intruder. So, you know, I started to get a bit panicked because I'm not thinking paranormal. Uh, so I run up the steps, go through that curtain. I search every room in that hallway and there wasn't a soul to be seen. And that's the only way in and out of that hallway. So I come back downstairs and I text everybody. I'm like, are you guys here? They're like, no, we haven't. We're not there yet. We're, Janice said she's almost there. So I wait around until she came in. I'm like, and I told this whole story to Janice. And I was kind of half freaked out. And uh, she said, well, do you want to? you want to search the building? I'm like, I kind of do. Um, so I told her, I said, I don't want you to help me search because the back door is open. That's the only way in and out of the building. 
every other right. every other exterior door was locked and they're deadbolts that are keyed on the inside and the outside so it's not like you can flip it and get out so i said i want you to guard this door i'm going to thoroughly search the entire building so i did that it took me about a half an hour and i mean i looked in closets i looked in trunks anywhere that was big enough for a person to hide and no one i come back downstairs and janice is a bit freaked out because while i'm out uh searching the rest of the building there was somebody just outside of the kitchen walking around that she could hear but couldn't see. Ooh. <laughs> so, wow, that's wild. It, it was And very... so that was going on for a long time. Yeah, I, I, the duration of this was probably close to an hour, I would say. And like that's... I said, I, I was freaked out because initially I thought intruder, um, and, but it definitely wasn't. You know, it was, yeah. So I have an interesting story sort of along those lines that didn't, I don't think it made the show um, because it didn't really have any, have to do with anything. But so um, I was outside at one point and I was doing what we call an OTF an on the fly interview. So there's a camera operator and the sound person and producer. And I was standing out on the lawn. I'm trying to, I can't really describe like behind that barn area. Right. And okay. so I'm back there and I'm doing my interview and John Tenney was helping us on this case. And so he's, he was sitting out back smoking and he could see me while I was doing my interview. And so then as I'm, I walk back afterwards, I'm walking in and he's like, he's like, who's that kid? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, that kid that was like playing around you the whole time just now. And he's like, does any, who does that child belong to? And I was like, there's no kid there, John. And he's like, what? He's like, no, I've just watched while you did your interview the whole time. There was a little kid playing in the grass, like near you. He's like, and I couldn't figure out why you weren't talking to this child. He's like, cause you love kids. He said, but I thought maybe you just like knew who it was or, <laughs> and he like <laughs> legitimately like started sweating and like turned like pale. He was like, are you, are you joking? Like you didn't see like, I'm like, none of us saw this kid. Like, apparently, while I was sitting there, there was this kid just, like, playing. This little kid with dark hair just kind of hanging out on the lawn and walking around. He's like, and he couldn't figure out who this person was. And so, fully saw it. Still to this day, like, if you bring it up, he gets really weirded out by it. Yeah. Because he's just, like, because he watched it happen for so long. So, I don't know if anyone else has ever reported he seeing. He is definitely not the first. <laughs> We, really? I have never seen that little boy myself, but we've had several people, including some of my uh, current and past staff, say they've seen a little boy about nine or ten years old playing in and around the barn out there quite a bit. That just gave me full body chills because I don't even think we even told you about that. No, I just I, think I, that, I like, wasn't it, aware of that. No, yeah, that is so insane. Like, honestly, like, <laughs> I've got such chills right now because, like I said, he he watched him for so long and he, he knows me. Like, whenever there's a kid around, I'm like, hey. And so he was just like, I can't figure out why she's not acknowledging this child near her. But <laughs> that's so, ooh. Okay, that's really interesting yeah, to know. Well, now, you know, Haunted Roadies, you heard it here first. <laughs> so, um, okay, so uh, now that's one of the things I love about that location is the activity is constant. And it's also, I mean, 
to us to a point there's lots of bangs and knocks and like footsteps and stuff that happen all the time but there are so many apparitions that are seen which is kind of uncommon like it's it's here and there like places will have full-bodied apparitions but it seems like people see like apparitions to the extent like you where you think it's a living person or like john you think there's a living person and then yeah. they're just gone so that's a, that's got to be an interesting thing to have to work with <laughs> it, it, it is and um I can't remember if I told you guys in the interviews, but to be brutally honest, before I started working here, I didn't believe in the paranormal. And uh, my ma my mind changed uh, very quickly because you just start experiencing things like very consistently. Like my first week here, uh, there was activity and it's like, what is going on? Have I gone schizophrenic? Am I insane? Uh, I, <laughs> no, I, did. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, and it's like, you know, eventually you just have to accept the reality of yes, yes, there is. A lot of activity here and yeah it'll it'll make you a believer very quickly now um does kenny still work there is that his name yes yes remember. he does yes he oh, does how's he doing i know he was nervous about going up on that second floor area after that whole like so there's a there was a clip that he showed us basically he went in he heard all this banging upstairs he started filming he like opened the door and like shot up there and you could hear it like mm -hmm. it was sounded like someone was just kind of banging on the walls and stuff like have has anything like that happened since no it hasn't um the the activity kind of changes in different parts of the building like this area might be active for a while this area might be active for a while um it it i, I don't want to say it cycles but you know you'll have activity here and then there and it, it it there's a lot of it's dynamic it changes quite a lot but no nothing like that since Okay. Yeah, that was, um, people, uh, people comment on that video all the time. For the record, anybody who's listening, if you've seen the episode of Kindred Spirits that we um, filmed there, there's this uh, clip that Kenny showed us where you hear something banging up there. And a lot of people are like, I see something moving. But when you look closely, it's just the shadow from the railing. So there's really nobody up there. And that <laughs> he was, he was genuinely pretty petrified. And I can't blame him. Like if I went to walk upstairs and heard that, I probably would not be, I would probably have vacated the building as well. I, but I, I would have thought have person. <laughs> I would have thought live person, I, like you, I would have thought like somebody has broken into this building and I need to like go call the police. Yeah. Yeah. My first few weeks working here, I would hear somebody walking around upstairs and it, it was vivid, you know, like you, you see a lot of the stuff on TV and it's like you hear what could be footsteps. I mean, this was like, it sounded like a heavy footed person walking around upstairs and I would search. It's like, is somebody in here? And my maintenance guy would come in. He's like, you'll get used to this. You'll get used to this. And I'm like, no, you won't. But he was right. You eventually do. Yeah, you just kind of, you learn to just live with it and work with it. Now, of all of this activity that happens there, like, who do you think is responsible for these happenings? I, I think a lot of it's the people who lived in this building in the past. Um, I also kind of presume there might be some activity that has kind of come with some of the artifacts in the building, but I think a lot of it is people who have lived there. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, do you find that any, so sometimes, I mean, to me, a lot of what we encountered seemed kind of residual in nature, but like, are there ever any spirits there that just like seem fully intelligent? Like they're fully trying to interact with you and, and, you know, relay some sort of information. Um, yeah. Uh, I, again, I can't remember if we went over this in the interviews, but there, there's definitely intelligent uh, activity there. Um, 
way, way back when I first started here, um, the building was laid out completely differently. You know, we've moved a lot of the rooms around and all of the Native American artifacts were displayed in a room upstairs. And mm -hmm. I, I'm an archaeology buff. I love that sort of stuff. So uh, a friend of mine and I, who's also an archaeology buff, we were up there cataloging that stuff. And uh, we had found part of a collection of Native American projectile points. And these were all numbered, and they were part of actually one of our founding members' collection from the 1920s. So they were all numbered, but there were a few of them that were missing. So we assumed they were still there, so we were kind of searching to put this collection back together. So we had boxes sitting in, in this room, and we were going through stuff trying to find these last four or five points, and we started finding them. And we, would, we had gotten down to where we needed two uh, left to put this collection completely back together. So we were sort of driven to find those so we could finish uh, what we were doing. So uh, we looked at the list. We knew what sort of point we were looking for. So we started uh, going through these boxes looking for that. And as we're doing that, um, we go to take a break and we sit back down at the table we were working at and we had a book laying open that was a, it was an identification book and the points laying right there in the center of the book and it wasn't there moments ago, mm. you know? And so we're like, oh, that was kind of creepy. Um, yeah. So we put that with the collection and we start looking for the last one and lo and behold, the exact same thing happens as we're looking through boxes. This last point just sort of materializes on the book that we were using as a reference. That's always, so when that happens, I've, I have had that happen one time, um, well, a couple times. One of the, the biggest times was it, it was an old house I was living in years ago. And I had a tooth infection and I couldn't find my um, antibiotics I was taking. And I knew I had left them on my sink. Like I knew it. I, and I was, because that's where I put them because I took them in the morning. And, I took, and like, I was getting so frustrated, like to the point cause of tears, because I really just wanted to like take my medicine. And I like, I remember I, I was in the bathroom and I was, this is clearly not a story that has to do with your location at all, <laughs> but yeah. I just, I can relate to it because it's, it's so creepy and not creepy, but just like, it's one of those moments where everything, your whole body just kind of goes, what just happened? So anyways, I'm, I'm in the upstairs bathroom and I look at the sink board and my medicine's not there. And I turn off the light and I'm like in tears almost. And I turn around, I'm about to leave. And I seriously, like heard this voice in my head that said, turn around and turn on the light. And I turned around and I turned the light back on and my medicine was sitting right in the middle of the sink, like in yeah. the sink. And I mean, this was a span of like five seconds. And yeah. I was just like equal parts thankful, equal parts horrified. Like what just happened? Where did that come from? How did I not yeah. hear it? So, so for you to have that happen twice, that is crazy. Twice in like a few minutes span. Yeah. yeah. And they, so they want, I mean, they were being helpful. And they wanted you to have it and wanted you to make, you know, make sure the collection was complete. But it's like, where were they? How, how did they get there? I just have so many questions when things like that happen. Yeah. But, um, now, I know that when we did Kindred Spirits there, so I think a lot of my listeners haven't necessarily watched Kindred Spirits, but um, there was a point where we did do like a pretty powerful spirit box session um, where we amazing. brought in the... Yeah, it was, I mean, I wish we could have done it justice. I mean, we, I think it was really compelling on the show, but we, it went on for quite a while. And we brought in all the employees, which we like to do when we're investigating 
um, these kinds of locations sometimes because we know that the spirits are familiar with you. You're there every day. And especially the the people who we could be dealing with, they could have trust issues. And so we brought in the employees and you and everybody. And so I remember during that spirit box session, they brought up a garden multiple times. So I want to know, did you put in a garden? <laughs> we did um, in a little area out between the library and the smokehouse this year, we started a small herb garden. Nice. Cause it was so strange. Like multiple times it came up that they were like, we want a garden. Where's the garden. Yes. <laughs> so I'm glad you guys fulfilled their wishes. We, we try to be respectful of them as possible because I look at it this way. Um, their life was probably not that great uh, when they lived here. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think the renovations we've done to the building, I think the fact that we treat them respectfully, I think it gives them a little bit of peace now that they didn't have in life. Right. I mean, I, I think that's nice too, that they're being acknowledged. You know, you're giving them, you know, a say in what happens and you're taking them into account before you make changes or, um, and I know longer than I have. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you, do you find yourself and other like people who work there and volunteer there? Do do you all find yourselves talking to them kind of regularly? Just regularly. Yes. Um, they become part of our daily lives. Like, like, uh, we, we try to let them know our schedules because the only time, uh, I've never really experienced anything properly negative there. Um, mm-hmm. But there are times when you get the sensation that you're not exactly welcome there. Again, not so much in a negative sense, more of a, can't you just go home? It's our time now. Uh, right. So like if, if we know we're going to be there late or things are going on, we try to put that out uh, so that they can prepare for it. And, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want somebody running around my house at 10 o'clock at night. So it's nice, nice to give them the heads up. Yeah, no, that's very fair. That's, that's kind of, you know, it's, um, it's just not often that you see a historical location kind of accept their spirits. So, so willingly, you know what I mean? And, and like, obviously I, I'm sure, you know, I've talked about this before on the show, but just how sometimes, um, these, the spirits and the paranormal activity can sometimes be, you know, a a valuable revenue source for historical locations that are, you know, trying to uh, kind of make ends meet. And I think that there's a very kind of respectful way to do that, which you guys have really succeeded in doing, you know, you acknowledge they're there, you let people investigate respectfully, you're very uh, true to the history and make sure that that is accurately portrayed and told. There's no sensationalism happening. Um, and so I think that that's really key. And I think you could probably, I think you set a really good example for other locations like you who want to kind of embrace this side, uh, uh, assuming they actually have hauntings, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, I really appreciate that because those are conscious efforts uh, we do make. Um, and, and quite frankly, uh, as far as revenue goes, the, the paranormal investigations are what keep us going as a mm-hmm. historical society. You know, for anybody that's not familiar with this building, it's it's very large. Um, it's not, you know, state hospital large, but, you know, most historical societies like us might be housed in, you know, maybe like a Victorian house or something like that. We We've got 52 rooms and 35,000 square feet. The maintenance alone is staggering. 
Yeah. Uh, and the utilities are staggering. So if it wasn't for that source of revenue, we would probably cease to exist. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's good. I think that there's, you know, I think it's important that 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 paranormal hobby that some people don't necessarily take seriously, like whether or not you believe in it, you know, sometimes there's a lot of good that can come from it. So and I think that you're the perfect example of Absolutely. that. Um, and what I like about the, the people we get coming here to investigate is um, it tends to be smaller groups mm-hmm. and they tend to be as equally interested in the history of the location as they are the the activity and you know i love seeing that because it is a very haunted and active location and it does have a fascinating history and i think it's important that that history be known and remembered because you know almshouses and poor farms are sort of one of those forgotten areas of history you know you don't hear about them so it's one of the few places you can come and actually experience and learn about that history Right. I mean, they were, it's one, it's obviously sad history, but it was honestly very important then too. Like where else would these people go? So, um, well, I do want to thank you for taking the time. Now, if people want to visit, they want to support you. What do they need to do? Uh, the easiest way we're on Facebook, uh, under green Mm -hmm. County historical society. Um, and our website is green count green with an E green County history.org. And make sure you're looking for Greene County, Pennsylvania, because I know we get a lot of calls for uh, Greene counties and other states. So, yeah, make sure you're looking for Pennsylvania. (laughs) I noticed that myself when I was looking. I was trying to find your email address or something, and I was like, oh, there's a lot of Greene County historical societies out there. (laughs) Yeah, a few years ago, I got an email from this uh, place in North Carolina. They're like, hey, can we get you to speak at our event? You know, blah, 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 blah. And I look at it, and I'm like, that's nowhere near here. And I replied to him joking. I'm like, I would love to. And uh, I typically, you know, I, I, I don't expect payment for that. But in this instance, because you're in North Carolina, I might have to ask you mileage. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm sure our listeners will get it right. So, um, but I do really appreciate you taking the time and hopefully I'll be back to visit soon. Oh, I certainly hope so. We'd love seeing you guys again. We had a blast when uh, the crew was here. It was fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Uh, Thank you, Amy. We can only speculate on what the afterlife holds, but the spirits of the Green County Historical Society might offer a hint. Like life, death seems to hold a mixture of the good and the bad. The friendly, gift-giving spirits have apparently found a secure, stable resting place, but sadly, it's also full of reminders of their pain and trauma. Even the dead can't escape the challenges they faced while alive. I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Are you tired of the same old vacation destinations and cookie-cutter experiences? Do you crave a sense of mystery, wonder, and adventure that can't be found in ordinary travel brochures? Do you listen to this podcast and think, I'd like to visit that spooky place. Well, that's why I started Strange Escapes, a paranormal-based travel company that takes you to some of the most haunted locations in the world. Frankly, it's my excuse to combine all of my favorite things, which is ghosts, beautiful hotels, food and wine, and other weirdos like me, to be honest. (laughs) If that sounds right up your alley and you want to learn more, then visit strangeescapes.travel and hopefully you can join us sometime.
Also, to keep up on all of my upcoming projects and appearances, head to amybruni.com. I have some really great things in the works, and I don't want you to miss it. Thanks, Haunted Roadies. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima Elkayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.